Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's show is going to be a really great show. Actually, all our shows are great, but this is takes it to another another level. On public health leadership, past, present, and future, we have a, an illustrious guest with us today, Jan Malcolm. I'll get into her logistics in, in a minute. I want to thank our crew, as I always do. Without them, we would not be as successful as we have been. I believe this is our 66, 65, 66 show. So uh, it's going going strong. Maddie Levine Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, and Sheridan Nygaard all do our um, are responsible for getting some background research together and great talking points for both uh, Clarence and I. So thank you to you too. Sheridan also helps us with our marketing. And then um, Matthew Campbell is our our tech guru, who um, takes care of everything technical to make sure that these shows get out to you, the uh, the listening public. So many many thanks to you. You're you're the best team ever. And then of course uh, Clarence Jones is my great colleague in this endeavor. We've been having a lot of fun doing this, and. He comes with a, a really good breadth of background in community health, and um, I greatly appreciate your your insights and perspectives. It's 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 a wonderful partnership, and I really appreciate it. And then, of course, there's Human Partnership, H U E M A N Partnership, which is a community endeavor focusing on health related issues for all of us, actually, and um, we hope that. Um, all of us can listen to their their insights. You can check out their website at humanpartnership.com. Dot org. I always say com, don't I? <laughs> you org. do, you do. Dot org. Dot okay. org. Um, okay. But they're a great, great organization and, and many thanks to them. So today, everybody, Jan Malcolm. Jan and I go back a long ways. I remember, Jan, when you were at um, at Health Partners. So that that really goes away, yeah. away, but um, it's been a great a great collegial relationship. Well, these years we've seen a lot of things come and go in uh, in public health and in 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 medicine. Um, over four, Jan's had over forty years of public service. And continues to have a you know a great positive influence. She's she's going to be leading up, or maybe in the midst of leading up an initiative to address the uh, the issues of health sciences at the University of Minnesota. And I think that group is is got kind of a deadline of what January to get mm -hmm. your decisions made. So Jan Jan is leading that effort. So thank you for that. She served under three governors in the state of Minnesota. For those of you who do not live in Minnesota, uh, Governor Ventura, Governor Dayton, and most recently Governor uh, Tim Walls. And it was, it's also interesting representing two different political parties over that course of of, of time. A wonderful health policy expert that comes with great great background, um, not only in the in the true government arena, 
but also she was involved with uh, health partners here in the state of Minnesota, Alina Health. Uh, she was the CEO of, of the Courage Center here in, in the Twin City area. So, um, wow, great, great career, great career. And recently retired, and, and I see a smile. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's, that's great. So, Jan, thank you so much for being part of Health Chatter. And really, this is a chat. And we're, we're going to be focusing on the concept of, of, um, of leadership. And, and it's probably easier, I'm hoping it's easier, to reflect on it than to talk about it when you're in the midst of it. Okay, <laughs> if you get my drift, I do. Um, <laughs> you understand. So, all right. So, let's start out this way. Um, health leadership overall. So, you know, with all the different things that you've been involved with, give us your perspective on it. What, as you know, as a, as somebody who's led a lot of different things, but truly, what is your perspective on leadership and health? And you know, from all the different things you've been involved with. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to, to join you and Clarence in this conversation. I I think it's a, a critically important topic, leadership in general, but leadership in health, leadership in public health, particularly now, given what we've just been through and the time that we're in, there is so much we need to learn from what we've just been through. Yeah. And figure out how to take those very hard won lessons through the, the COVID-19 pandemic and apply them not only to being more ready for the next health emergency, but how do we improve what we do every day to serve the people that we serve, which is everybody. And I think too, that, you know, the one thing I know for sure is that it is not true that leaders are born and not made. I okay. think that there needs to be intentionality to, uh, to thinking about what what is what is leadership? How do you get better at it? Nobody just you know kind of comes fully formed as a as a leader. No matter your uh, your training or your experience, I think there are always um, ways to ways to get better. I you know I, I do think um, that there are certain characteristics that help one to be um, a better leader. But the characteristics alone don't make you a good leader. And by characteristics, I guess I mean things like, um, you know, I think there, there are actually there are values and there are personality traits, if you will, or styles. And then there are skills. And I think those are three different things. Yeah. Uh, but how how you marry them together, how you how you uh, take advantage of any uh, how you first of all, I think it's a lot easier to lead and to lead authentically, which is a key word, I think, authentic leadership. People can, can sense it if it's there and if it's not. But what makes an authentic leader, I think, is, is somebody that, um, that whose work is aligned with their values mm -hmm. and who, who kind of is intentional about how you, how you use the, the, the traits that you either naturally have or that you learn over time um and then being being really attentive to where you know where your skills are the strongest and, and where they're not um so i think 
you know, uh, kind of on that front of, of values. I mean, I, to, to me, and I, I feel so lucky to have had a career in health policy and public health because that that is just an exceptionally well aligned with my personal values, especially the field of public health, what we're all about really just resonates with me and, um, and makes it easy to love this field and the people in it, because we do share this deep values connection about, um, about social justice, about thinking at a very, you know, kind of ethically driven equity driven um, look at you know how society is is either helping or or harming people's ability to be healthy uh, I just have always felt so at home actually in in this field and with these incredible colleagues that I've that I've had I think some of the the traits that are important um, you know again I think top of my list is is uh, authenticity and empathy, um, you know, really genuinely caring about the work that you're doing and the people that you're doing it for and the people you're doing it with. And, you know, I, I think another trait that I would call out probably especially from the, from the last few years is, um, is persistence. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, because no, nothing that we do in public health is necessarily easy. Yeah. And nothing... I think we've learned this the hard way. Even even when we make great progress, that progress isn't. It, it it's not a given that that's always going to last. You sort of have to keep remaking <laughs> the progress and building on it. So I could go on and on about about values and about traits, and and we can go any way you want uh, on that. I'm not going to like try to make a com comprehensive list, but just wanted to kind of get across the point that I think it's it's helpful to be cognizant of you know, what are the values? Are they aligned? What are some of the traits that you can draw on, um, which might be different in different circumstances? And then the skills question, and maybe we'll, we'll go into that, you know, through this conversation, um, you know, but certainly communication, coalition building, um, and kind of political acumen. Um, I think, you know, we could go on and on. I think skills around emergency preparedness. Oh, my heaven, did we have we just learned, you know, how important that is, not just to read the book, but to, yeah. but to really, uh, you know, practice that, I think, in a much more robust way than we've ever done before. So you asked me a really open and good question, and I could go on mm. the whole lot with that. But let me stop well, there. You Where know, so like I'll tell you, the... When you said authenticity, I, I, that, that really rings a bell. It really, really does. You have to be really, you really have to embrace that in order for you to, to move ahead um, properly in, in, the, um, in the healthcare field. I will tell you this now, I'll let, I'll let Clarence chime in. Um, I saw you speak many, many times in, in many, many different situations. And it always struck me, you as a, a leader, it, it always, I always had this sense that you were listening ever so carefully, even, to, even you know, in, in an open forum, listening ever so carefully and, um, and getting that sense of appreciating the other point of view which I think is an incredible leadership attribute. Um, you don't have to agree with it, 
but you can appreciate at least their their perspective and then hopefully from that um, go forward. The one thing I can say is that I, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on or, or whether or not you agree or you disagree with people. The bottom line is we all want to be healthy. And, and so that's, a, that's something that we all carry. Yeah. Clarence, go ahead. Yeah. So Jan, let me first thank you for your, your comments. I, I, you know, you asked all my questions all, all in that, in that opening statement, but I think one of the things that I really wanted to know was this, what type of skill should be demonstrated by a leader during a crisis? I mean, what do you think are the top maybe three or four skills that should be demonstrated by uh, a leader during a crisis? I mean, we, you know, we just came to this 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 COVID piece, this pandemic, and, you know, it seemed like people were all over the place, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me as a community member, you know, what are the what are the skills that I should be looking for from my leader uh, going through a crisis or just 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 in general? Well, yeah, thanks, Clarence. I, you know, I think in a crisis in particular, uh, communication is essential. That that was probably the the main job that I, as the leader of the state health department, had was to try to keep the lines of communication flowing between the scientists and the policymakers, between the quote unquote experts and the public with the media, with the legislators. Um, and to Stan's point, um, being able to not just say, here's my, here's my speech, I have to you know, deliver these facts, to, mm-hmm. to listen to people, to, to listen to, to the community. As, as, I, as you, I know you know, Clarence, it, the, this has been a devastating um, pandemic mm-hmm. in many ways, but it, it absolutely further kind of illuminated and exacerbated, I would say, all the flaws in the system. Um, and, and so that people who've been disadvantaged and experienced inequities for, you know, for so long on so many different fronts, it happened again with COVID. And, and so understanding and listening to the community about what about our response as hard as we were working and trying, what about it wasn't working for the communities that were at some of the greatest risk and, and to be, uh, to be not in denial about that um, and to and to really seek out uh, you know honest conversations with communities who were disproportionately affected and then to Stan's point on the other you know on the other end of the continuum perhaps the 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 folks who really did were having a hard time believing that COVID was as big a deal as we were saying, whether those were folks in the business community or, um, you know, folks who were just very concerned about the, the role of government, you know, in all of this, hearing mm-hmm. that incredible variety of, of, of experiences and perspectives and, and being able to, to try to navigate your way through how do you effectively communicate with folks who are in such different places in terms of how this is affecting them, what the reality is of their, mm-hmm. of their point of view and their circumstances. So, um, you know, there's ma- much, many more things obviously about mm-hmm. 
kind of keeping a cool head and trying to help help keep 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 people going you know so many people mm -hmm. worked hearts out for so long and how mm -hmm. to how to support them how to encourage them um but i would say you know kind of that trying to trying to help people keep it together from a organizational health perspective mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. this multifaceted communication challenge those would be probably the two things i'd call out thank you, you no know, it's interesting um during COVID, you know, I, I'll be honest, I was considering, you know, retiring before that hit. And then um, when it hit, uh, you know, as a public health professional, and and by the way, I, I can probably say that this is true for a lot of people, certainly at the health department, they put off retiring or they put off this or that so that they knew that they, they could help. And yes. because that's what it was all about. I mean, if 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 you're not there for that, I mean, what was your public health career all about? Right. Um, but it was it was in, intense. You know, none of us at our at our age ever lived through you know something like that before. All we could do was you know go based on history of what happened, like in 1918. You know, with, mm -hmm. the, with the flu up in them. So here's a couple of other questions I have. Um, how do you balance, and this has always been a kind of an issue, how do you balance the avenues of medicine with the avenues of public health as, as a leader in the, on the public health side of the equation? Because there's always that, that integration that needs to be done and that collaboration that needs to be done. But oftentimes they're in their own, their own ways. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with that? Well, I, you know, when I said there are so many lessons we need to learn or we should we must learn, I think, from what we've just been through that that there's a lot to unpack in that question of how to how does the medical care system and public health um, best interact? Um, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of specific experiences we had through COVID that uh, that can help us um deepen that understanding i you know quite honestly i think when it came to particular things about the pandemic response our respective roles were not clear yeah. who should do what who was in the best right. position to stand up all that testing and do the mass vax and you know are those are things we typically lean on healthcare for but the healthcare didn't have the capacity to do it nor you know in some respects did they have the incentives to do it crazy as that sounds mm -hmm. Um, so, but we haven't built a public health system to be that safety net when it comes to the delivery of some of those, of those services. So should we, um, you know, and, and how do we kind of put some surge capacity back into the, into the public health system and into the healthcare system when that's systematically been squeezed out over years and years and years of, of resource constraints and, you know, short workforce and all the rest. Um, I think we absolutely learned how interdependent we are mm -hmm. on each other. I mean, healthcare could not succeed unless public health could succeed in trying to keep as many people absolutely. from, you know, from getting sick as possible and to get the, you know, the, the preventive measures in place. Um, politically, we absolutely needed the healthcare system's support to say, 
we have got to do some of these things at the community level to try to restrict the spread because we can't handle this, you know, the surge in, in volume if we just, you know, kind of let this thing rip through the society. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and certainly we, we couldn't succeed in keep in keeping the public healthy if healthcare didn't have the capacity to, to, to take care of the people that inevitably were going to end up needing, uh, needing acute care. Um, so, I, I mean, to me, this was a wake up call that we better have some deep conversations about <clears throat> what our respective roles are, how we can best support each other, where we need to, to beef up the resources, because, um, you know, I think we'd be we'd be naive at best to think that this is was a only a once in a hundred year thing. Correct. No way. And, and yeah. we, we know, I mean, the virologists know that, you know, how much is sort of out there, you know, yeah. able to, um, uh, to, to, to do what COVID did at any given time, just given, you know, the globalization of, you know, of, of the economy of the world. Uh, it's a much smaller world than it was in 1918 and, you know, and climate uh, yeah, change yeah. is, is is absolutely a driver of what we're seeing with viruses so we got we got to be more ready and i think that that takes a deeper conversation about what went well what didn't go well where did we you know kind of spend time and lose time trying to to negotiate who should do what um and figure that out and then and then support each other you know healthcare needs to show up for public health to say, you know, we need public health to be strong and we need them to have resources and we need them to have authority. And we need, you know, they, they, they need to see the, the degree to which our capacity in public health is necessary for their, for them and vice versa. I mean, I think we, we are, we should be like uh, seriously kind of really pretty, pretty concerned about what we've just seen about the fragility of the healthcare system um, in, in terms of surge capacity or lack of surge capacity, um, you, you know, and, and the workforce shortages that are popping up all over the place, that's a shared problem. Right. right. But we don't, we don't typically, you know, we typically, you know, kind of a public health over here and healthcare's over here and we're looking out mm -hmm. for ourselves. We got to look out for each other to a greater yeah. degree than we have. You know, um, you know, as you, as you think about it going, going forward, it seems to me that, what what COVID provided us, you know, maybe, maybe there's a silver lining in it, is a quick opportunity for lessons learned. Mm -hmm. And but we have to act on those lessons learned. We have to somehow or other coalesce those lessons so that frankly, quickly, so yeah. that you know we can take advantage of them before we forget what they are. Yeah. And then another thing happens and then, oh, my God, then we're in the same ballpark. Again, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And that's one of my biggest worries, actually. Right. Yeah. This was so disruptive, to, you know, so bad. Everybody just wants that. Nobody wants to talk about this except the three of us, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's but, like, you know, don't lessons... say COVID anymore. And and I think we we do have a, you know, a window here to try to. I agree. While things are still fresh to have some candid conversations, but it's, you know, and I understand why people aren't so very eager to, to go there because it's, it is, it's, it's hard scary. to, yeah. we're, yeah, we're recovering from it. It's, you know, it brings back 
some pretty pretty bad feelings to to reflect back on it. But um, but boy, I sure hope we do. Yeah, uh, Clarence. And then I want to talk about chronic disease. Yeah. Go ahead. So as a community member, I agree with you 100. percent I, I, you know, I'm out in the community doing work, and I see this 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 gap between uh, what I call biomedical and public health, mm-hmm. and it's like nobody wants to really talk about. It. Everybody wants their own silo. What I want to know from you is what tips do you have going through this crisis for both the community and and public health leaders to discuss in order for us, as you just said, to not have to repeat all of these lessons over again? Yeah, you know, I I really do think that we can use some of the specific things that we saw in COVID to illustrate things we've been talking about for quite some time about, you know, the, the fundamental need to work on the community conditions that support health or that don't support health, that it isn't all about the biomedical, you know, end of the continuum. It's about, you know, what really determines health. It's not just, can you get to the doctor when you need to, essential as that is. It's about the conditions in your community, about, you know, uh, people's economic security, their physical security, housing, you know, the environment, the uh, access to resources. And I think we saw that in who was disproportionately exposed to COVID and who was disproportionately affected by the severity of it. Um, and, and so taking some of those just really, you know, practical lessons learned about the importance of the housing conditions, the working conditions. Could you get access to tests or not? Did, you know, how, how did we do at getting you know, testing, vaccination, and therapeutics into the communities that were the hardest hit. You know, I think we've we've got some really tangible examples. You know, when we we kind of talk about the the social and economic determinants of health in a theoretical way, people just don't really quite get what we're talking about. But when we say, look at you know, look at the the patterns of how of how COVID moved. And how much that was influenced by things like housing conditions and working conditions and multi-generational families and, you know, the lack of, you know, of good quality ventilation in buildings and all of that stuff. I think we we just reflect on, okay, what did we see and how do we talk about that in ways that policymakers and, you know, and, and other influencers can can see the need to really invest in those community conditions and not just you know, as important as it is to say, boy, we need more nurses and doctors. Yeah, we do. And <laughs> that's not enough. Right. You know, we need we need to to pay attention to these community conditions way differently than we have. So that's a question. Let me let me ask you a yeah. question, because I'm I'm intrigued now by the fact <laughs> of how you've been responding. Uh, who was your inspiration? What was your epiphany? Uh, with, I mean, with the way that you're thinking, uh, because I think that 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 uh, it's important for me to know, and I think it's important for people to hear that, because I think the things that you're saying, we need to hear more of. Wow, um, you know, so many inspirations along the way, um, but uh, you know, I I go back to, I mean, many years ago, I was a much younger person. 
you know, somebody who really inspired me a lot was Dr. David Satcher, former uh, Surgeon General of the yeah, United yeah. States. I mean, I can remember him, you know, talking about this, you know, kind of the social determinants of health before very many people were using that terminology. Um, you know, and, and he would talk about, I can remember vividly a, a speech that he gave. He was talking about how this was in the in the 1990s, um, it, it, talking about how unacceptable um, infant and maternal mortality rates were back then. Yeah. And he said, you know what the most important factor is for infant and maternal mortality? Maternal income security. I was like, whoa, you know, the light bulb just kind of went off. It's not just prenatal care or not. It's, it's, it's that more fundamental, do people have what they need to be safe um, and, and healthy? And so he, he really was, he sort of put that spark in me, you know, early, early on. And since then, it's really been, you know, leaders in our, in the community, um, many of whom were, were rightly, you know, kind of critical of kind of what, what we were doing with the, with the response. And this is a dilemma. I'll just call it right out, you know, between um, get, you know, focusing on the largest number of people versus focusing on the the biggest degree of harm, if you will. So, you know, get, get the whole tension between, you know, where, how do you deploy the resources from an equity perspective? Um, you know, whether we're talking about testing or vaccination, you know, how do we, how do we prioritize the populations that, that are at the greatest risk while the, the other side of the coin is saying, but the, you got to get the countermeasures and you know as broadly spread as possible as fast as possible and that kind of makes you do these sort of more more untargeted mass events and and so that you know and i you know i kept being challenged appropriately so by leaders in the community saying this isn't working <laughs> you, know, you, you you need to do more to get the resources deeper into the community um you know, and and um, I mean the, the 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 I will just call out you know kind of the black um, uh, religious leaders, um, you know the, the 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 churches, the pastors, the um, you know and and the and the folks you know in service organizations like yours, um, you know, working with communities to try to get communities access to the resources and to get the resources deeper into communities. I think we got better as we went. But it was always a challenge to, you know, to 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 get that balance between the big, you know, the big P population and the and the more targeted communities where where the needs were particularly great. You know, I, it's interesting. I remember, um, you know, one that inspired me was C. Everett Coop. Yeah. He was another, another, you know, a surgeon general. And I remember distinctly I, I was at a presentation by, that he gave. And somebody asked him, and we were dealing with smoking and you know, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And and somebody asked him straight out, what should we be doing? And his answer was, I thought, brilliant. Just, I don't know. That's up for you guys to decide now. Take mm -hmm. this torch and run with it. So, you know, it was really inspirational, you know, from somebody who had that much clout to be able to kind of 
give the work off to you and be, you know, be creative and be good, good risk takers. Um, so these were, these were good people. Um, okay. So I, I want to talk a little bit about chronic disease. Let's get away from COVID because, you know, mm -hmm. while all of this COVID stuff was going on, the pandemic, guess what? We were being affected by the stuff that affects us every day. Right. Okay. You know, we still had people, um, you know, having strokes and people having heart attacks and people suffering from diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, cancer, et cetera, asthma. Yet it, it appeared to me that at, certainly at that time, uh, everything was kind of put into a holding pattern for everything uh -huh. else. I mean, we even saw indications of that in the hospitals where people were presenting themselves who were apparently having a stroke or a heart attack, for instance. Yep. And how did we find out about them? From the funeral homes because they they didn't get the care they needed and they and they eventually died. So this is what's always struck me. And this is a, may, maybe a question that, that you can address for us. It's what should a state health department really be responsible for. So in the in the scheme of things here, it's just like, you know, much of the funding for many of the chronic diseases, frankly, doesn't come from the state. It comes from, uh, from the, uh, the federal level through grants that we receive there. But if those grants never were, if we never got them, uh -huh. Frankly, I could I could tell you from experience, we would have been in trouble as far as dealing with cardiovascular disease for the citizens uh -huh. of the state. So what literally, how is it, you know, from a leadership standpoint, should what what should we be doing to assure the health of our citizens? How should the state be responsible for it financially, et cetera? Um, and the bottom line is what should be the core responsibilities of public health? Well, I think that is, um, you know, that that's a quite that too is a question that really needs um, a lot deeper discussion. Um, I, I, I mean, we've to your point, we public health is hugely underfunded. No matter yeah. what part of the public health Absolutely. portfolio, if you will, that you look at. Infectious disease is underfunded. Emergency preparedness is underfunded. Chronic disease is certainly underfunded. Yeah. Um, it, you know, analysis and planning is certainly underfunded. So it's it it's kind of, I think we're we in public health are kind of expected to do all of it, but but really without any appreciation of of what it of takes what it takes to do it to yeah. do it robustly and and well i can remember you can know, kind of you, you raised tobacco as a as a great kind of le lesson if you will or uh, of how this works i can remember you know when i in my first term at, at the health department with governor ventura it was right after the tobacco settlement and you know we so we had this boatload of money yeah coming from the tobacco settlement um, with with kind of lots of differences of opinion about how it should how that money should be spent, but very little support for spending it on prevention. Oh, let's spend it on on cancer Inter treatment intervention. Let's, yeah, let's let's yes, exactly. Let's you know let's let, let's help people stop smoking. Well, yes, let's, but let's 
try to work on the prevention side as well. Right. And I think we had some real successes there because with that money and with frankly, Governor Ventura's support, we were able to get more money put in, into the prevention side than we mm -hmm. ever had before. We went from funding our, our anti-tobacco efforts at a, you know, a couple million dollars a year, which was like, if that's Nothing. all you're going to spend, frankly, why don't you save it? Because it's not going to make a difference. Right, right, right. It's not going to move the needle at all if you're right. battling against all these bigger forces that are you know, much more successful in, uh, in getting people to smoke on the marketing side or use tobacco, commercial tobacco. Um, but, but when we could really appropriately resource it, we actually produced some pretty good results. It wasn't just the money, but it was this multi-layered strategy of understanding, oh, you got to work at the individual level. You got to work at the family, the community, the policy level. And we had all these things kind of working in synergy. And we dropped youth smoking by 30% in yeah. about five years. It was like, wow. Yeah. Um, and it was a combination of lots of different strategies. So to, to me, that just sort of says we, and I think we did it again in the pandemic with a lot of resources, we moved mountains in a hurry. We can do it, but yeah. it takes, uh, it takes resources that we don't typically have in public health. Um, so I, you know, in, in chronic disease, I kind of went off a little bit there on, on a tangent, other than the point being our role is prevention of chronic disease. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, I think we need the, our healthcare colleagues to say, we have to be working at the population level to try to reduce these risk factors overall, because just trying to you know remediate or, or treat or cure at the other end is going to overwhelm us. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, people just like, well, you know, if I get diabetes, I'll take the drug, you know, right, or right. Uh, if I have a heart attack, the hospital will save me. You know, I mean, it, it, that's sort of how we think about, you know, kind of our our individual um, perceptions of, uh, of risk. And, and, you know, and, and I think a lot of folks in the legislature, for example, think, well, the chronic disease, you know, managing that, that's healthcare's job. We want you public health people to, you know, you do this emergency stuff because we just saw that we really need you to do that. You stop the outbreaks and the healthcare should deal with chronic disease. But I don't think healthcare is set up to do that. Not yeah. the way healthcare yeah. is paid for. So I think it a, a lot of this, I know this is kind of wonky, but it so much of this comes back to financial incentives and how the healthcare system is paid and how the public health system is funded or isn't. Um, that we just really need to, you know, to to have a, a much more specific question about, and I think we've got good roadmaps from CDC and others yeah, about yeah. How, what would it take to fund things at a robust enough level, population wise, to uh, to make a difference. You know, there are recommendations about, you know, what should public health funding per capita be. No state is close. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. You know, if we really wanted to intervene on the upstream end, how much more should we should we invest upstream? You know, I mean, it's still what is you, you, maybe you guys know the current data better than I do. But it's you know, what is it still like 97, 98 percent of all the Easily. dollars yeah. are going yeah. into the intervention end 
a pittance is going into prevention. Well, yeah. you know, guess what? Part of the reason that other countries spend less money and get better results than they we do. They put more money into it. <laughs> they put more money, not only into kind of classic, you know, classic, if you will, public health, but also into what we were talking about earlier, the social determinants of health. The social yeah. net is stronger in places that invest more in housing and economic development and, you know, on and on. And so I, I think the economics are actually on our side, but we gotta we gotta really sharpen our uh, our arguments around that and broaden the coalition of people who who can see that picture and see the you know how all these things really are so interconnected um, and and start to move more of that money upstream because we will we will all suffer from it. <laughs> um, you know, it's we- interesting when I when I was teaching um, in this arena for a long long time. Um, we often discussed, you know, with with students, you know, the avenues of medicine, the avenues of public health, and how how poorly funded public health has been. Um, and and it can and then <laughs> I can't tell you that was you know thirty years ago we were right. we were we were talking about that or more. Um, and, it, and it, it's still, and, and I often said, I remember speaking to the students and saying, you know what, public health isn't as sexy as medicine. You know, when, when somebody goes in and they're sick, and they're really sick, and somebody fixes them, yeah, that's pretty sexy, you know, that's pretty yeah. cool, you know, yeah. okay. But what, okay, now what do you do in public health? Well, I can, you know, we, we never could communicate it very clearly exactly what we were doing. Prevention is too kind of big picture stuff that mm-hmm. people can't get their he- heads around as well. Mm-hmm. And that's still with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that concept is still with us. Clarence, go ahead. So I'm going to, uh, Jan, I'm going to ask you this from a community perspective, okay? Uh, community is often pointing fingers at medicine and at public health about its issues. My question to you is, what should the expectations of public health be for the community? Mm. Great question. Um, well, I think to... Uh, we need we need to be partners and the the critiques um are a part of that uh you know like to 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 help us understand what what isn't working from the community's perspective um but then we also need for community organizations community leaders community members to just just to kind of embrace their 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 role in, in changing some of the conditions so that it, it's not all like, you know, you out there, you government people, you need to fix this. It's like, how do we fix it together? You know, how do we, how do we get the community, the resources and the support, but also look to the, look to the community um, to, to lead um, and to, and, and to l- learn how to, Oh, I don't, I, that's not, let me, let me take that back. Not, it's not about learning how to um, take responsibility because I think community knows that a lot, but how to, how to exercise some of the, uh, some of the, um, the, the muscles, if you will. Uh, please. Please. Yeah. Okay. 
this is one of the this is one of the biggest issues for me in terms of this this whole idea about having healthier communities is that I think sometimes the expectation on communities from from uh, healthcare leaders is not enough. Mm. I think that people are afraid of being critical and saying that this is not working, or people are afraid of being of of, of hurting people's feelings uh, when we have these diseases, and yet by not being by not having higher expectations, people are dying. Okay, so the the question I'm I'm really trying to 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 see is that I know that many times people have their favorites. It's easy to go to these organizations and and give them money because you are accustomed to them. But I'm wondering about the the increasing the uh, accountability and the responsibility of organizations in order for us to really address these issues. Because I think you know I, one of the one of the concerns I always have is that you know the state has put. 50, 60 million dollars in certain zip codes for the last 40 to 50 years, and people are sicker now than they've ever been. Mm. That makes no sense to me. That makes no sense to me. And so I'm not getting on the soapbox. I'm just saying, I just want to kind of figure out how then do we have this, this honest conversation? Talk about authenticity. Mm-hmm. How do we have this authentic conversation about what is really needed and what is really expected as we start talking about these healthcare, chronic diseases, and illnesses? So I just want to put that out there. So I, I don't I want your response. I am so glad you did. I think you said it way better than I did. I, I was kind of trying to get at the same point. I think that um, we we have to we have to support communities to um, to be able to uh, to be more responsible uh, to, and to and to create those expectations. Absolutely, you know, you're right about that. I think we need to be more explicit. The, the expectations shouldn't be lowered for you know investing in in the in the capacity of of more community-based organizations to to take more charge um but they also need to then you know be able to to deliver as you say and and that's not a one-way street um so i i love what you said about you know let's let's set the expectations higher and then let's have a dialogue about you know what is needed to be able to fulfill those expectations and, and get you know get the get that outside in, um, you know, perspective switched to the other way. Um, you know, but- it's interesting, you know, we're, I think today or tomorrow, uh, the state is going to be um, publicly getting out their, their plan for cardiovascular disease and diabetes, their state plan. And one of the things that kind of slowed up the process was this whole idea of community engagement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it it turned out it was easy for communities to identify what they wanted. On the other hand, getting them engaged in working with the strategy, ownership of the strategy. It's not. It's just not. It's not just mm-hmm. identifying what it is. It's like how it is. Can we accomplish it mm-hmm. together? Okay, and if you mm-hmm. own it as a community. And if good leaders in in the communities understand that, then more action can can come from that, and hopefully better better results. One I thing, Jen, I wanted to re- reflect on for you for you is um, you know as we're talking about plans, is um, and I'm sure you're aware of it. Um, healthy people, the objectives for the nation, twenty thirty. 
Okay, so one of our dear colleagues, Nico Pronk, was one of the you know one of the uh, the co-chairs in developing the national objectives for the nation. How was it you know, leading leading the health department? Were we engaged in that, or are we engaged in it, or is it just a function of being aware that these objectives exist, and hopefully whatever work that we do at the state can complement that. So how how is it that we embraced the objectives for the nation? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I'm in a great position to answer that just because the last three years, as you said earlier- Been crazy, yeah, that's were true. <laughs> hijacked by- Yeah, everything you're 100% with COVID right. Um, so I, I, I don't have a great answer to that question, but I do think that we, um, we need to do a better job of lining up our, our state priorities with the national. And we, we spend a lot of time writing plans, and I'm not always sure that we're using the plans that already exist, you know, mm -hmm. well enough um, to save the resources. I did, I did want to, if it's okay, Stan, just, I sure. know Clarence was trying to, to uh, make another point there before, I know we're getting close on time, but I just wanted to turn it back to Clarence and see if he had another comment that he wanted to make. I did, but at my age, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> You're entitled. You're entitled. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry about that, Clarence. So, Jan, all right. So, all right. So now you've retired from, from the health department. Let's talk about just for, you know, maybe the final thoughts here. Um, knowledge transfer. How is it for, how do you transfer your knowledge as as a leader to a new leader mm. uh, or, or or maybe not um is it just an assumption that okay somebody else is going to be appointed you know in this case commissioner and uh thank you very much mm -hmm. um knowledge transfer mm. well i think there's 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 often not a lot of time for that you know um yeah. and you know i'm so proud of, of Commissioner Cunningham and the work that she has been doing and will be doing on on equity and so many other things. Um, but the, it, the job is like you you're in the deep end of the pool right away and having to juggle a million things. And there's not as much time for that sort of reflection and, and bigger picture conversation that things tend to be more like, how do I handle this thing? You know, um, and any anything a former colleague can do to help their successor i think it there's there certainly is a willingness i know I'm, I'm part a member of the alumni society of the association of state and territorial health officers and we talk about that a lot it's like how do we make this easier yeah or the for the folks who've been around the block a few times to be helpful to the people who are in the hot seat now because it yeah. just the pace of the work doesn't really allow itself for uh, allow that as much as you would wish um so it's a you know, how, how how do we build more time into the jobs of leaders at, at any level, you know, to for this kind of continual learning and reflection and improvement? Because we don't do a very good job of saying how much how much of the leader's job is that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sure she knows that, you know, you're you're as close as a phone call away. You know, oh yeah, we, which we is, talk. We talk. Yeah, it's, it's right, hard to... right. It's just like yeah. help, help me out here, Jan. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> final thoughts, Clarence. Thank you. 
I, I think there's a lot to there's a lot I'm going to be chewing on uh, as I listen we listen to this program. But thank you very much, and I think that uh, it's a pleasure. And now I, I, I'll uh, reinstate what Stan said. You know, he was talking about what a pleasure it was to listen to you. It was a pleasure uh, for me to listen to you, and uh, thank you for your for your insight. Thank you. Nice to nice to be with you this morning. You know, Jan, um, it feels as though in many ways we've we've shared um, a lot of history together. You know, we've gone down you know uh, perhaps different uh, public health past but it's always been complimentary mm-hmm. um you know like you were president of the minnesota public health association as was i mm-hmm. and and those are dear dear colleagues that you can always count on for um for insight and in encouragement one thing i can i can say from my perspective to you is um you always provided, whether or not you realized it or not, um, either directly or even indirectly, encouragement to me as as a colleague, and I greatly, greatly appreciate that. I I've come to realize that perhaps that is the ultimate form of leadership: is providing constant encouragement. Um, trust um, with one another. Um, I Like I always knew that if I'd get in contact with you, I'd hear from you at one point or another, I'd hear back from you or vice versa. Or if I needed insight from you or vice versa, we could get it from one another. And to me, that that supersedes everything. And, and, and I wanna really, really thank you as as a colleague in the, in the healthcare area for that. Oh that's that's very kind of you Stan and I think that that is again kind of what I love about public health the, the people in public health. Yeah. And, yeah. We don't always do it perfectly but we get it that you know this is a team it's a team effort. It's not it, it it's not just individuals working really hard. It's the collective impact of people knowing how to work together and how to support each other. So I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you. Yeah. We all know how to give each other a good hug when we need right. it. You know? yeah. and, and so thank you. So thank you for um, a perspective on leadership today. For our listening audience, we've got many, many great shows coming up. Our next show that we'll be doing, ironically, is on the new state plan for cardiovascular disease and diabetes, which will lend itself very, very nicely and complement this show very nicely going forward. So for all of you out in listening land, keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us. Send us a message. You can comment on each episode. You can rate us. Uh, And it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.